It's been a delight to be here, and I say that uh, deliberately. I really have enjoyed this. I've, I've received more than I've given, I feel like. Of course, that's always true with Dave Hawking. And uh, if he just had a stronger voice, I could hear him. <laughs> but I love this man, his ministry, his faithfulness to God, and his adherence to the Word of God. Uh, every time I've heard him at Hume Lake or in our church in San Diego or wherever, he, I have an opportunity. It's always a positive message. And you never wonder what he's thinking about a given passage of Scripture. And I love that idea of eagles, you know, floating along and waiting on the Lord just for the free ride. I'm, I've done that all my life. I didn't know it was so scriptural. But anyway, thank you, David, for your stand through the years. I love your writing and the ministry. I love to see my friends in God's service who are finishing well. It's a testimony. And we, besides, the Apostle Paul ordered us to. And... Uh, we're, we're, one of these days we're going to stand before Jesus. By the way, someday when you and I get a chance to talk, I, I'd like to talk to you about my new idea that, that since King David invented the idea of the soldiers that stay with the stuff, that they share in the rewards. When the others come back after a victory, they bring all of the loot that they could with them, and they had to share it with the people. And they kind of had a little union trouble and, and a rebellion and saying, well, why should we give to them? They didn't go to battle. And David said, those that stay by the stuff will share with those who give the victory. Anyway, um, I've been thinking about the judgment seat of Christ. And at first it seemed an inequitable thing that... Uh, we ministers get too much glory and too much accolades for what God does with our lives. And I, I find that it, you constantly have to remind yourself that, hey, if he took his hands off me, I'd sink right out of sight, you know. And it'd be like Samson after he got his hair cut, as weak as any other man. Anyway, uh, I, I believe that, that God is, gave David the input, and he was the man after God's own heart and the king that will be ruling over Jerusalem under Jesus during the millennium. So, I mean, David has a past and a present and a future. But may I suggest that David gave us the idea that we will come as couples before Jesus and we will share in each other's rewards. Because through the years, you know, we've been in the ministry 67 years and I get all the credit for what's done. But I happen to know that my bride has been used of God mightily to minister to me, to raise our children. They're walking in the faith, and I get the credit for all that. She's really the, the power behind the throne, you know, that expression. And I believe that the Lord is going to let us share in the rewards that we have when we uh, stand before Jesus, because uh, they served with us. Now, don't ask me about the missionary friend that I know, that her husband died after 12 years in an airplane crash. And then after five years, she married another guy who's a minister. And I'm not sure how that's all going to work out, but I believe when we walk down the aisle or the hall in this great place that Jesus is preparing for us, and we get to our assigned room, we'll walk together. And 
I believe we'll be surprised to find our name will be on the door. Because nothing we do or will ever do takes God by surprise. It's a wonderful thing. I'm, will not the God of the... You, if you have questions about that, see Dave. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but I, I, I revel in the fact that our God will do right. He is a just God. And remember, he loves us. And he wants us to serve him. The best bargain you can make with your life is to turn it over to him. Pastor Steve, I want to thank you for inviting us here at the same time our friends are here. And by the way, if you haven't spent all your money on books, may I recommend a couple of mine that uh, after you've gone through Dave's. If you are confused about the book of Revelation, I wrote a book a number of years ago. In fact, in the church in San Diego, I preached it. It took 18 months on Sunday night to preach through this, and then I re redid it, and Sonderman published it. Uh, Revelation Unveiled. And I'll, my, if I have a gift, it's the gift of simplicity. I write to ordinary people. I don't write to scholars. They, you can always tell them because they got a whole list of footnotes in the back. You can tell my books. I don't quote other people. If they're right, I just use it. My motto, <laughs> my motto to other people, they write and say, can I use so-and-so that you wrote? I say, hey, the word copyright means copyright out of it. And uh, anyway, this will help you. It's a verse-by-verse -verse commentary. And as Pastor Dave will tell you, you don't find very many commentaries that are bestsellers. And I say this to the glory of God. This book has sold over a million copies as a commentary of verse-by-verse -verse on the book of Revelation. And then one of my recent books is the popular handbook on the rapture. Now, the publisher put that popular. How can a brand new book be popular? It's this weird way that publishers do. You turn it in to put a title on it, and then they put the title they want on it. Anyway, it's still a good book. I wrote eight of these chapters, and Dr. Heinsen, my dear friend that I hold a lot of prophecy conferences with, he wrote three chapters. And Dr. Thomas Ice, who is the head of our pre-trib research center, he wrote two chapters. And then we have a number of others that are, are contributors at the pre-trib conference. So they're all Bible prophecy scholars. So you'll find great help. And those of you who wanted to get my interpretation on, on the uh, falling away of 2 Thessalonians 2, that the Antichrist, that, that's the one, one of the two major verses that the post-tribulationists use, and they're confused about that. What I try to do is point out that the, the original translators of the Greek to the English, eight of them, translated it departing, not falling away, and then the Antichrist. That leads to apostasy. They, so they teach that there's going to be an apostasy. Well, we know that from other passages of Scripture. We don't need Second Thessalonians 2 to prove that there's going to be an apostasy. Instead, after the departing, and if you look at the first verse of the second chapter, well, you find it all in this book. And it's worth a read. Anyway, turn with me in your Bible. Oh, I need it. Here it is. Of the writing of books, there is no end. David, you and I are keeping Solomon honest. That's why we keep writing books. Uh, in Ezekiel chapter 39, 
we have, now remember Ezekiel was a contemporary of Daniel. And about the same time, they weren't necessarily colleagues together or imprisoned together, but they were down in Babylon at the same time. And yesterday, remember, I said that God did a miracle in letting the children of Israel go to the citadel of idolatry to prove that the, the representatives, the false prophets, the necromancers, the soothsayers, they couldn't get a message from their God because they couldn't interpret the dream. And so they turned to Daniel, and young Daniel came in, and he gave the classic word, there's a God in heaven that reveals secrets. And one of the things I forgot to mention yesterday, that's the reason I'm glad to have a second chance, is remember I showed how the times of the Gentiles were stretched out, and there'd be the head of gold, which was Babylon, the Medo-Persians, represented by the silver and the arms, two nations, and then the belly of brass, and then the legs of iron. And, and those. But the, the important thing is, that predicted there would be four world rulers before the Antichrist. And the interesting thing is, in history, for 2,600 years, how many world rulers have there been? Four world rulers. And there have been many. I, I counted one time 13 that tried, from Genghis Khan to, to Marco Polo and a host of others, Adolf Hitler and Napoleon Bonaparte. They all started out to rule the world. Well, I got news for you. They're not going to rule the world. They haven't ruled the world because God said there'd be four. And I like to use that as one illustration that God keeps his word. And when he gives us a prophecy, you can be certain it's going to happen. And... Uh, There are many of them. Well, what I want to share with you is in Ezekiel chapter 38 and 39. We have one of the awesome passages that has to do with the end times. And I'd like to use these graphics because I believe if Jesus were alive, he would say, without these visual aids, speaking not unto them. And uh, we would be able to understand a lot more than we do. The coming Russo-Islamic invasion of Israel. And it's just, it's destined. It is going to happen. And I'm not concerned about it because I know how it's going to come out. How do I know? Reading the word of God. In Ezekiel chapter 38. Now, 36 and 37 we dealt with yesterday has to do with the revival of Israel. And the miracle of miracles when Israel has been brought from all over the world. And a third of the... The population of Israel is, uh, or the Jews, are in the Holy Land at this present time. Now, in chapter 38, we have these words that kind of launch off into this significant passage. This is one of the most detailed end-time prophecies you will find. Now, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog, of the land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Dubal, Tubal, and prophesy against him. And say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you. O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, and horsemen, and splendidly clothed, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. 
Now, let me just pause here to point out that this was written 2,500 or 600 years ago. And consequently, if he had talked about uh, airplanes and, and bazookas and, and all the launching and nuclear weapons, people wouldn't have understood him. He talked about what was common in his day is a picture of the armaments that they would receive. So uh, don't, don't look for the primitive, except it's interesting that the, uh, the Russians have developed a method of using sawdust mixing it with uh, resin and concrete, and it comes out like concrete. You can lathe it. It gets so hard. And so it's possible. I've read that there are electronic abilities of making everything hot in a given area by just pressing a button, like we do on our computer. We send messages. Well, this could make everything metallic hot so that you couldn't have tanks and bazookas and other weaponry, you see, so that it could change and we'd have wood. And I'll come to the significance of that in a moment. All right, he says, uh, all these, Gomer, verse 6, and all his troops, the house of Togarma, from the far north, and all its troops. I, have, I get people write to me letters every now and then. They want to challenge me about this or that. And I try to write back as many as I can, but it's kind of a gargantuan task. And uh, this guy wrote and asked if I'd uh, write an endorsement for his book. But when I found out it was a post-millennial book, I decided, no, I didn't want to. But I gave him a reason why he was wrong about uh, his interpretation of, of Russia. He thought the Scythians and the Russians and the, the great scholars that have said that this is referring to the Russian people that, that they were out of sync. And uh, so I said, well, you forget one thing, that they come from the upper, uttermost parts of the earth. Now, it's interesting. If I could have the graphic of, uh, that we used yesterday, just the last one. I wonder if you'd shoot that up there. On, let me show you the map. And uh, there it is. And I shared with you yesterday the awesome picture of how big Israel is that little red spot, nine miles wide in some areas. And that's where the United Nations and the, the uh, armies of the world, the countries of the world said, well, if you would just give us more land, the, the, the whole countries, all the Arabic countries, the Muslim countries have all the land that they need. They're not even using the lands that they have, and yet they want land for peace and they lie in their teeth. And that's one thing that I, I don't mean to be disrespectful for the Arab beliefs, but they believe that anything that they say that advances their cause is good. So you can lie and cheat and steal, and, and it's okay. Well, may I suggest to you that you can't trust them because obviously in 62 years, they have been lying about, give us more land and we'll give you peace. They don't want peace. They want Israel. They want that... And so they have their eyes fixed on this. And it, let me just back up and share with you an observation. See that little spot on what is the bridge of nations? Notice how it's the bridge between Africa and the European continents and Asia and so on. <clears throat> I, I'm convinced that our loving God put Israel there to be a blessing. 
And he said, if you bless, if you obey me, I will bless you. And the one thing he said, you can't worship idols. And that's where they got into trouble. And that's a long story about that. But the, the important thing is that they, they disobeyed God. And instead of it being a, a land of blessing, you see, remember the scene about the Queen of Sheba? She came to visit and she was a wealthy queen and she saw David's empire and how God had blessed the nation. And she used that classic term, the half has not been told. She had no idea how Israel was being blessed. Well, you see, God put Israel there in that bridge between the continents. And, and you know, the seafaring travel was not really great. They had the wrong proportions for their boats. And uh, then on one side, Mediterranean Sea, and on the other side, the Sahara Desert. So where would the people go? The habitable place was over the land of Palestine, so that the nations, the travelers, the, the merchants, and all the peoples of the world that traveled there, they would see how God blessed this nation. It was to be a, a testimony to the world. And instead, because they incurred the wrath of God, they were judged, and they became a, a, a bridge of cursing. Because the armies of the, the north would come down south, and the armies of the south would go north, and they'd just trample over the people. And then they'd look at God and say, why did you do this to us? Because you worship false gods, that's why. One thing about God, he requires that we obey him. And when he tells you to do something, make sure you do it. Okay, all that's preparatory. Prepare yourself, verse 7, and be ready, you and your companies that are gathered about you, and be a guard for them. After many days, you will be visited. In the latter years, what I want to do, just very quickly, is show you who he's talking about, what they, who, what's going to happen, when is it going to happen, and why. I can't wait to get to why. Not only because it'll be the end, but because uh, I want you to see what purpose God has in giving us this prophecy that is going to happen. It's never happened yet. And here we have the, the list, the roll call. After, in verse 8, we have, who is it? The names of the countries that we list that, that are listed here, I won't take time to read them from Russia and so on. Um, and we have a, a graphic that shows the modern names. But who are these people? Well, look at this map. They're the neighbors of Israel. The neighbors of Israel that hate Israel with a passion. The one unifying thing they have is they hate Israel and the nation that's made Israel possible. Well, I wish we could take time to go into the details, but I want to speed on and call your attention to the one nation that's missing. In all those nations, you will not find Iraq mentioned, unless you want to call it part of Persia. But in my lifetime, I remember when the Iraqis and the Iranians, who like to call themselves Persians, uh, they had a big war, and a million people were killed, mostly children, boys, that were pressed into battle. And, and so you, you find this uh, strange picture, and now we have the United States buying 125 acres of property. And some say that's going to be for an embassy. Well, that's kind of a precarious idea with the news going on today. But... May I suggest that that embassy 
could be reserved for the Antichrist. It could be the future home, not of just the United Nations, but of the world government that the Antichrist is going to set up. Yes, we are going to have a world government, and it's uh, just around the corner. Have you noticed, as you talk to all these nations, they have this quest for peace, and if everybody would just uh, put their weapons down, we could have peace at a time when the only people, it's kind of like uh, registering guns today in our country. If we turned in all of our guns, then the only people who would have guns were the people that didn't turn them in. Who would they be? They'd be the gangsters. We'd be at their mercy. Well, that's the way it is going to be with, with the mentality. You say, oh, that'll never happen. Don't you believe it? People are naive in thinking that they can negotiate peace. They can't negotiate peace. Instead, Turn with me to the eighth verse. He says, after many days, when is this going to happen? After many days, you will be visited in the latter years. Those are expressions for the end times. We are rapidly approaching, and I hope it wakes you to the point of realization that we could very easily be coming to the end times because we're preparing. These nations are lining up. You will come into the land of those brought back from the sword and gathered from many people on the mountains of Israel, which had long been desolate. They were brought out. I have to get this up closer where I can read it. That they will be brought out of the nations, and now all of them dwell safely. It's interesting, isn't it, that it used to be when this was written, every city would build a wall around it because they had no defense. But that's passe. People think that you could have safety in just uh, living together in a city. You will ascend, coming like a storm, verse 9, covering the land like a cloud. You and all your troops and many peoples with you. Have you ever seen an airborne invasion or a military exercise? You look up at the sky and it's just loaded. Perfect description. You will say, I will go up against the land of unwalled villages. I will go to a peaceful people who dwell safely, all of them, dwelling without walls and having neither bars nor gates, to take plunder, to take booty, to stretch out your hand against the waste places that are again inhabited, and against a people gathered from the nations who have acquired livestock and goods. And who? What country in the Middle East has all this. Israel, being blessed of God. Remember I told you yesterday that, that Israel went for a, a 660,000 days without rain, and so it was just a wasteland. And then it started when the Jews started coming back into the land. It started, and uh, we have Israel today, one of the most arable lands in the whole Middle East, supplying good food and and other things, livestock and so on, that the day is coming when they will want to go down against Israel and conquer Israel for personal gain. After many days and after long years. Well, let's go on to the next section. I want to share with you not only when this is going to happen in the latter days, but God's basic plan for mankind. Since you all have photographic memories, I hope you can stamp this into your brain. If you can't, well, read my book, Global Warnings. Not warming. Warnings. Much different. Because we have this diagram in there <clears throat> showing the church age, 
the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, and then the glorious appearing. Now, all of these are, both of these are the second coming, the second coming for the church and the second coming to the world. And uh, one is in the air, Christ is coming in the air, and the other is coming to the earth. And during this red zone, which, by the way, is, this, is, this chart is out of proportion. If I were to make it proportional, it would be so thin you could hardly see it. But it's a time that Jesus said would be great tribulation, the like of which has never been or you would never see it again. It's just going to be a one-time experience and forcing people that they have to get ready to uh, uh, the coming of Christ to enjoy the millennium. But now the Antichrist is going to take charge and the thing that starts the tribulation period is not the rapture of the church. The thing that starts the tribulation period is the signing of the covenant with Antichrist and Israel, surprisingly enough, giving them three and a half years of peace. And then he breaks that seven-year covenant and begins to persecute the Jews. And that's very important, as I'll show you in a few moments. Now, this reprobate... The Antichrist is a man of sin. He's going to come on the church. And you say, when will these things be? After many days and the seven years of burning. I want you to see this. It's, it's so important. And uh, in verse 38, God is going to bring destruction on these nations. And in chapter 30, 37... Pardon me, chapter 39. Uh, where this is all going to be done on a special day when God is going to mark them. And chapter 39, verse 7. Thank you. Boy, I admire a guy with a photographic memory. I have one, but I can't find the film. <laughs> okay, he's, in verse 6 of uh, chapter 38. He said, I will send fire on Magog. Wait a minute. 30, oh, 39. I wonder it didn't look familiar. Ah, here we are. Look at verse 8. My holy name, they will, people in Israel will not let them profane my holy name anymore. Then the nation shall know that I am the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. Surely it is coming, and it shall be done, says the Lord God. This is the day of which I have spoken. Then those who dwell in the cities of Israel will go out and set on fire and burn the weapons, both the shields and bucklers, the bows and arrows, the javelins and spears, and they will make fires with them for seven years. Now, it's, uh, in, in our book on global warnings, I make a highlight out of the fact that these seven years are very important and we must locate what they are. For example, one thing that they will not be is they will not be in the last half of the tribulation period. You notice this red zone? That seven years, according to Revelation 13, will be a time of great persecution of the Jews. He breaks his covenant in the middle of the tribulation, persecutes the Jews the rest of the time until Jesus comes. And consequently, we're, we see this tribulation has to be seven years. So I'm convinced that the rapture of the church could introduce an interim period. 
And then the Antichrist signs a covenant with Israel for seven years. And in that interim period, many things could happen. For example, there could be a movement of the Spirit of God. Some people get saved during that period. That's even before the time when the children, that when 144,000 of the Israelites, according to Revelation chapter 7, are admitted. And he is going to let them identify with himself during that period of time. And I'm getting my, ahead of myself a little bit, but let me show you one more graphic. You notice how I've cut it off at the tribulation because I want to give you one evidence that the Lord has seemed to reveal to me. And that is that at the end of the tribulation period, who's going to be left to populate the millennium? The Christians won't. If, if they believe that the rapture is going to occur at the end, I don't happen to believe that. In fact, if you want 15 reasons, I've got it in about four of my books. Um, but 15 reasons why the, the rapture and the glorious appearing are, are separate. But I cut this off because if you believe that, then there's no one left to populate the millennium. The millennium, according to many passages in the Old Testament, is going to have, be filled with all kinds of, of people. In fact, the greatest population in the history of the world will be during that thousand years. That's why I, I just shared with David, I, I'm thrilled about the fact that there will probably be more people in heaven than in hell because of what Jesus did on the cross and the enormous population when he will rule in a kingdom of righteousness when Satan will be bound in the bottomless pit and can tempt no mankind no more. Can you imagine an era of time like that? And if, if a third, if Gallup is right, that a third of the population are born again in America under our conditions run by a bunch of hedonists, uh, if, if, if that could be the case, then can you imagine what it's going to be when the king of righteousness is in control of the, the whole world? And uh, it will be illegal to sin in those days. Well, I mention this because if you have the, the uh, rapture at the end of the tribulation period, who's going to populate the millennium? Because the unsaved are cast into hell and the believers are taken to heaven. So who's going to be here in their natural bodies to propagate after their own kind, which was the original plan of God in, in uh, Genesis chapter uh, 1? Anyway, what we have is <clears throat> God revealing himself, and we ask the question, why? <clears throat> I want to sum this up by asking you the question, why would God give us all these details in the latter days, and God is going to intervene, and the Russians and the Islamics are going to merge together and they're going to come down against Israel. And when Israel thinks all hope is lost, we have no opportunity to be saved. And God will speak from heaven and he will cause a great earthquake and other things that he will do and, and save Israel for the purpose that he has for them during the uh, millennial kingdom. And that's one of the reasons why he's doing that, because he's against godless communism. He's against the, the Islamics because they worship Allah, who, who's a pagan god. Uh, if it, you know, I say that with a small g. Uh, there are many pagan gods, 
But the true God, as David made very clear, is waiting for us to leave the decision-making of our lives over to him. And that's one of the reasons he's going... In fact, Russia and the Islamic world have caused the murders of more people than any nations in the history of the world. It's frightening to think that they deserve the, in, in the work of God. Now, but the real reason, the one that I get excited about, the reason I chose this message to share with you is right now, that the world will know that he is God. Many times in my life, when I've heard false teachers besmirching the name of Jesus and the teachings of Jesus, I have often wished, now this is a carnal look, a look at the carnal spirit that I sometimes manifest. Because <laughs> I'm Scotch, French, and Irish, and it sometimes it collides. Anyway, I, I'm convinced that the heathen people today, I, I, I've, as a minister of God, I've often wondered what would happen if God just rolled up his sleeves and manifest himself one time in unmistakable terms. Well, may I suggest to you, when Israel's hope is gone, and the world, I can just see the commentators on NBC and ABC and the, the national news, whatever, uh, you, you'll find that they'll have a field day saying, Israel is finally going to get snuffed out, and they'll have to give up their, abandon their, and then God Almighty moves, and all their hope is saved by the intervention of God so that all the world will know that I am the Lord. I want to show you something that really speaks to me. I hope it does to you. And it's mentioned eight times in these two chapters that God is going to do this. He's going to intervene. See, God doesn't intervene very often like he did in the days of Pharaoh and the days of Moses and the, and the Red Sea parting and, you know, the miracles of God. In our lifetime, we haven't seen God intervene, but the world is going to see this sophisticated, Christ-hating, God-despising world is going to see an unmistakable hand of God when he spares hopelessly confined Israel. And in verse 16 of chapter 38, he says he's going to do it so that the nations <clears throat> will know me when I am hallowed in you meaning Israel. And then he says in verse 23, I will magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations. As a matter of fact, can you imagine TV all over the world? Even Al Jazeera and others are going to show the, the awesome movement of God. And then in chapter 38, verse 23b, then they shall know that I am the Lord. And another one is... Uh, Chapter 39, verse 6. He's going to rain fire on Magog and the secret Islamists in the coastlands. It may be our country or Canada or some of the others. Then they will know that I am the Lord. In other words, all the secret spies in the countries of the world will suddenly be wiped out by the fire of God. And then... In verse, chapter, verse 7 of chapter 39, So I will make my holy name known in the midst of my people, Israel. And then he says, verse 22, The house of Israel 
shall know that I am the Lord. When they finally are rescued by God's intervention, then they will know. And the Gentiles shall know. Verse 23. Then Israel will even know that God is Israel's God and has brought their historic calamities on them. And now he has delivered them. Think of it. The nations will know. Israel will know. The Gentiles will know. Doesn't that sound like everybody? Everybody in the whole world will be confronted with the fact that Israel, that tiny little nation, hopelessly surrounded, has no chance, and then God bears his strong arm and reveals himself. I wonder what my biology teacher when I was in the eighth grade would say. I was raised in Michigan, and he was a graduate of the University of Michigan, and he taught us that this world is millions and millions of years old. They can't prove it, but the reason they suggest it is because they need it, because there's such microscopic change, it takes that long for their pipe dream to come to pass. Well, this biology teacher that gave us the evolution he learned from the the graduate school at the University of Michigan, he showed us four of the missing links in our textbook. I looked at these and it kind of shook me because my pastor was teaching us about in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and that God took the, the dust of the ground and he put some moisture with it and he made man in his own image. And so man was created by God. Or you have the evolutionary process that took millions, and some of them say billions. If you, if you're, it's kind of like money. If you're scattering around a million, you might as well scatter around a billion. If you're doing a billion, why not a trillion? So we're up to that level. Next thing, we'll, who knows what we'll be out. Anyway, the, the point is, this man showed us these four missing links between the animal and man. As I recall, they were the Piltdown man, the Neanderthal man, the Java man, and one other. I can't probably can't remember, not remember, worth remembering. Anyway, all of them have been proven fakes. They were plaster of Paris manufactured by the scientists. So I always thought science was a study of fact. And not if you tell the story often enough. And that's one of the reasons why I started San Diego Christian College, why I started the San Diego Christian Schools, why I'm so committed to education. In fact, my wife and I on Wednesday are getting on a plane and we're flying back to, to Lynchburg, Virginia. Whoever goes to Lynchburg, Virginia? Well, those of us who are on the board of Liberty University that has Jerry Falwell's great dream, he shared the same thing that we have. We need to re-educate our kids because they're getting brainwashed in school. Let me digress just a moment and share with you. As a pastor in San Diego, surrounded by many uh, schools, like uh, Pat Brown, the father of Moonbeam Brown, who's now in charge in in Sacramento, he came along and he dedicated in San Diego and Irving, California, two hotbeds of conservatism. That's why it used to be when we first came here that you had to wait until the smoke all cleared to find out whether the northern liberals outnumbered the southern 
liberal, uh, conservatives. But uh, that has gradually changed until now. It's automatic that California and New York are, are the liberals, the bastion for elections. And that's what's wrong with our country. But the, the point is that we, we have seen this country mesmerized by higher education. If you repeat a lie often enough, Himmler said, uh, you'll soon become a belief. And my biology, I couldn't wait to share with him what's, what's he going to think when Almighty God reveals his existence by sparing the nation of Israel. And it won't be just uh, uh, my Babel, my, by the way, you know what his name was? Babel. <laughs> Dr. Babel, that's, that's true. And then he babbled away and he gave us these four missing links. When we started San Diego Christian College, Christian Heritage we first called it, uh, we, we, we also started the Institute for Creation Research. People have asked me, how in the world did you ever get a great scientist like Dr. Henry Morris, PhD from the University of Minnesota, how'd you ever get him to come and, and start your little college? We, we started out the first year with 10 students. And Dr. Morris, who left tenure in a school in Blacksburg, Virginia, where he uh, had security, he left all of that, and he was the head of the third largest engineering school in America at that time. And he came to our little school to start up an a school that got accreditation because of him in record time. And because of God, in his marvelous grace, I did not have one single qualification to found a school. But I just trusted God, and, and I was invited to speak at Biola College. I was pastor there in just a few miles south. For 25 years, only one time did they ever ask me to come and speak. So I don't even know what I spoke on. And when we went to lunch, <clears throat> I, they, they were so sophisticated, you went to a fast food place in the neighborhood. And so I'm out on the sidewalk walking along, and I saw these two men, and I had read Dr. Morris's books. And I recognized his picture. And I saw he, I didn't know the man he was walking with was his son who was taking engineering at UCLA. And he came over to have lunch with his dad. And I walked up there and I said, Dr. Morris, our church is starting a, a college next fall. And uh, I'd like to ask you to pray about becoming the academic vice president. And he was such a gracious, humble genius. I mean, he's the smartest man I've ever been around. And uh, he said, uh, well, I'll pray about it. And in the providence of God, oh, I love the providence of God. I waited for a month. It was, this was in January. And I waited for a month, and I called him up on the phone and said, uh, Dr. Morris, uh, uh, what's your decision? That day, it was during the riots in the campuses of many of the colleges of America, and this humble genius, writer of many books, he's walking on the campus in Blacksburg, Virginia, to his office, and they're having a demonstration. And some kid has a sign and conked him on the head with the sign. And he walks in his office, and he, hadn't, he, he sat there and said, Lord, is this the way you want me to spend the rest of my life? And the phone rings. Guess who it was? 
me calling Dr. Morris and saying, Dr. Morris, have you made up your mind? And we made a date for him to come out and preach in our church down in San Diego. And he came and he preached on creation. There are three kinds, A, B, and C, and A is the creation miracles. And only God can create miracles. And he led it up to Jesus as the, the miracle of God. And, I mean, can you imagine a Baptist church voting unanimously to invite him to come and start our college? Well, that's the one time they were really smart. Uh, anyway, <laughs> he came, and in record time we got accreditation. And I say all of that because in the providence of God, he brought Mr. Creationism to our school. And people say, like Pastor David say, how in the world did you ever get Henry Morse to come to your school? It's simple. We negotiated. He said, well, you know, I've always wanted to start a creation science organization. And he said, I'll come if you help me. I had no idea what was involved. I said, sure, that's the price. I'll do it. And the church had him come and unanimously called him. And we started the college on September 10th of that year. And God has blessed. We have missionaries all over the world, ministers in the gospel. And Pastor Steve here escaped our school with a good education. And uh, it's just wonderful how the providence of God, he is involved in the details of our lives. And he wants to use your life. And one of these days, he's going to bear his strong arm and show himself to be the God of the universe by revealing himself to the the nation of Israel, the nations of the world, and by all the Gentiles. David, that covers them all. And he's going to reveal himself in unmistakable terms. Now, personally, I think that could be before the rapture. I'm not sure. There's some things we're not certain about. But my reasoning for that is very simple. It's not God's will that any should perish. If he, if he does this after the rapture, who's going to be around to win the people to Jesus? Can you imagine my, if my professor is still alive, Dr. Babel, uh, all of a sudden he's going to say, hey, there is a God in heaven. All the people who work at NASA that are trying to disprove God and that there are other planets and so on, carrying on. They're hunting for some kind of a sound, an audible sound that they can say must be, we're communicating with somebody, but there's still nobody out there. As David said in the early session, God has started this earth. This is a special planet where man has an opportunity to choose whether he will commit his life to God or run his own life. And I'll tell you a secret. If you have an indication that you can run your own life, that isn't your indication at all. That's the deceiver. He is deceiving you into thinking that you are smart enough, you're talented enough to run your own life. The best decision you can make on this planet is to recognize, I need help. How do you need help? For your sin. For your sin. There is no one perfect. This idea that God is going to, if, if there is a God, he's going to measure, put us in the scales and all the good you've done on one side and all the bad on, that's nonsense. That's some brain, uh, human brain conceived that. It is not the will of God. There's only one way to be saved and that's to look to God and recognize God so loved this world 
He gave his only begotten son, that whosoever, that means you, shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved. One of the fun things about being a writer, and anymore, I, I guess I'm a better writer than I am a speaker. I get so excited and confused about the, these things. I have people come up to me everywhere I go and say, oh, I read your books, changed my life, and I always try to ask them what happened. And many times it's Christians that have rededicated their lives and realized that, hey, we're only here for a short time, and one of these days Jesus is going to shout from heaven and we're out of here. And so they want to get ready. I'm really thrilled with the people who came and say, I was a lost soul, and I read Left Behind and realized that I needed to receive Jesus. See, the thing that makes the evangelical church unique is our belief in who Jesus is, the only Savior, there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved, and that we can call on the name of the Lord and be saved. And that that's a personal experience. That's why I try to ask almost everyone I meet, have you ever made the wonderful discovery of inviting Jesus into your heart? I'll tell you, folks, if you have, you know it. Because he's made so many the things you once loved, you now hate. Your, your whole life has changed. And see, I don't try to change anybody's life. I just try to bring them to Jesus, and he changes their life. That's what the Holy Spirit's special ministry is for, to communicate the Word of God so we can understand it and be changed. And the evangelical church is rallying around the principle that Jesus is the Christ, the one and only Savior, and you must be born again. You must personally receive him. As the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That means you. And I, I got a hunch in this crowd, there are some people that wandered in here and you think maybe we're madmen because we believe in prophecy. Don't realize that 28% of the Bible is about prophecy. But the day is coming when Jesus is going to shout from heaven. And we don't want you. And this whole church is built around the principle. We don't want you to be left behind. How can you avoid that? By calling on the name of the Lord. And among the many, many letters I've received in the conversations, one of the cute ones came from a registered nurse. She said, my dad was an atheist for 80 years of his life. And then he went blind. And being a nurse, I didn't want to put him in a home. So my husband and I agreed we'd bring him into our home, and I took care of my dad. It was a loving gesture by a loving daughter. He's a good man. He just wasn't perfect. But then nobody is. And so he came in blind, and she took care of him. And then she said, now, Dad, you have to understand. I know when we grew up in your home, you said that I'm an atheist, and I don't believe there's anybody up there, so we're not going to ask blessing at meals, and uh, we can, I don't want you in, in no prayer because there's nobody to hear it. And that was his atheistic belief. And she, she said, but you did let mom take us to Sunday school and church where she accepted Jesus. And she said, now here he is, 80 years old. She brings him in the home. She said, now you raised us that way. This is a Christian home, and we pray at every meal. and We pray at night when we go to bed. And so he said, okay. This is your home. 
you obeyed the rules under my home. Now I'm in your home, I'll obey your rules. And so she would go in and read to him. He loved it since he couldn't read anymore. And he said, do you have any fiction that you could read? And she says, yes, I'll be glad to read to you, Dad, but uh, I want to pick the fiction. And she read Left Behind. And when he got to Soul Harvest, she kissed him goodnight after reading a section. And the next morning, she came in. He's got a big smile on his face. And he said, honey, you don't have to worry about me anymore. I accepted Jesus last night. He said, he, now those of you who have read, you know, the hero in our book is Rayford Steele. He said to her, I prayed the prayer of Rayford Steele last night. <laughs> now it's, she said two months later, he died. She said, he craved my reading the book of Psalms and the, the scriptures as much as I could. And she said, then he passed away. We had his funeral 10 days ago. And I'm writing to you, Pastor, let me ask you. Do you think God would forgive a man who cursed in his name, who raised his children with no spiritual guidance at all, except for my mother? Do you think God would forgive that man just two months before he died at 82? I was tempted to just take the letterhead from my office and write on it, yes, because he would. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I got to ask you, have you called? Have you said, Lord, I'm a sinner. I believe your son Jesus died for people like me. I need to be saved. If you have any questions, you've had that experience, and I know most of you have, but there's bound to be someone here who may not. Let's bow together. Look into your heart and ask yourself, do I need to make that same prayer of Rayford Steele or Tim LaHaye or Pastor Steve, Dr. David? Yes, you do. If you've never done it, you need to. If you have an inclination right now, obey that inclination and say, oh God, I am a sinner. Forgive me. And in the name of Jesus, who died and rose again from the dead, I give you what's left of my life. I want to be your servant. And for any who might be with us who haven't been really surrendered to God, you're a Christian, but you haven't been totally committed, may I suggest right now, recommit yourself to him to do whatsoever he would have you do. And you will be amazed at what God does with your life. Pastor, would you lead us in prayer?